0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the What is Crypto Podcast with your boy, Nai. My name is Matthew Aaron. The future of banking, that's why we're here. That's why Bitcoin was created, peer-to-peer electronic cash. This is what we're doing, this is what we're thinking about, but it even goes further and more beyond that. You know what? Not only do people not like Bitcoin so much, they're gonna come out with Apple Pay, they're gonna come out with PayPal, they're gonna come out with Venmo, they're gonna come out with so many different ways to try to do the thing that Bitcoin does very very well and why is this important and why is venmo why is paypal not doing it as well as bitcoin well this is my personal opinion i mean of course hooking up your credit card your bank card your your debit or whatever straight to venmo or paypal so you can pay people boom it comes out of your bank account your usd your euro your whatever so easy bitcoin there's still a bit of a barrier a bit of a pain points there to try to get to you but bitcoin does the whole future of banking very very well but why is what is everybody trying to do why are they trying to do this well that's what we're here to talk about this is what mr Dan chat's here to talk about this is why we're having him on and how cryptocurrency plays a major role before we get into that make sure you go to whatiscrypto.com subscribe to us on itunes Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, CastBox, or any other place, of course, Apple Podcasts, and head over to Apple Podcasts or on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a comment, a five-star please, and a great comment. It helps us. We'll see you after the show.
1: Awesome, Dan. Thanks for coming on the show today. Can you give your first name or your full name and your title, please?
2: Yes, Dan Shatz co-founder CEO of cred
1: awesome and how would you describe yourself
2: I would describe myself as a FinTech enthusiast that loves to travel and uh, loves to innovate
1: and how did you get interested and why are you interested in Bitcoin cryptocurrency and blockchain
2: so this hit me when I was uh, I spent several years at PayPal And um, I had sort of a holy shit moment like, this is gonna change everything. This is gonna completely disrupt PayPal. Everything's in one database at PayPal everything is distributed with Bitcoin. I got so interested and excited, I ended up leaving PayPal to write a book about the subject called Virtual Banking. You can find it on Amazon. And I've been hooked ever since. That was back in 2013.
1: And I'd like to start off by, can you just give us a basic overview or a basic definition of what is a bank?
2: Yeah. And I'm glad you asked that question because uh, a a bank is something that I believe um, will disappear over time it's today a trusted place where you can earn a return on your money where you can borrow money and you can do payments and basically for everything that you do that has a that touches money you know you're you're somehow connected with a bank my belief is that while banks in the future will not exist but banking will and you know it's people say it's the second oldest profession right and uh, it'll continue to thrive people will always have a need for earning and saving and borrowing and paying for things regardless of the form factor or the you know type of technology or the, the many new things that you can actually save for, or invest in, ultimately will, I believe people will continue to need banking, but it will evolve in a very different form than it's in today.
1: So that's really interesting when you said that you don't believe banks will survive, but you, will, you do believe banking will survive. Yes. Can you share a little bit about what the difference of these two things are in your opinion?
2: Yes, sure. So, um, and this relates to what we're seeing firsthand at, at Cred. There are about a dozen things today that Cred can do for people that some of the largest banks in the world cannot do. And that's amazing considering that um, our company is two years old and we've got a, you know maybe a couple dozen, a little bit more people um, that we're serving around the world. Um, And you have banks that are hundreds of years old. Those things include the ability today for us to take a digital asset, take digital assets in 179 countries today from people in real time, turn them into other forms of digital asset in near real time, and then lend them out in still a third, third digital asset in near real time. We can do all of this work across many, many countries and many institutions in a few minutes on a Friday night when the banking system is closed. So you, you start thinking about that. Well, it means that someone in Senegal and West Africa that has acquired a little bit of Bitcoin, but, but you know can't get a bank account, can place their Bitcoin with cred and start earning. Someone in Venezuela that is desperate to get out of their you know, currency that's got a, a 6 million percent inflation rate, can get into a uh, Bitcoin or stable coin or another crypto asset, instantly place it and earn interest uh, on that and, and borrow and facilitate payments. They can choose to place one digital asset yet get interest in another digital asset. Um, they, with no uh, credit history, can place one digital asset down and receive another digital asset to borrow at, at single-digit interest rates. All of these things can't be done today by the largest banks in the world, uh, yet we're able to do them because we're leveraging the best of what crypto technology and blockchain provide and the best of what Wall Street provides. And I will say that there are a few things that Wall Street has done right. There's a lot of things that we can leave behind, but there are a few things. Uh, like how you actually hedge risk that uh, continue to be valuable. And if you combine the two uniquely, as we've done with the best of Wall Street and the best of crypto, financial services that you can offer that are 10 times as good, still equally insured, still uh, managed well from a risk perspective with all the requisite licensing that's required. But now you can earn instead of 1% in your savings account, 10%. Now, instead of borrowing at a twenty-four percent rate on your credit card, you can borrow at seven or eight percent. That's that's the power of of bringing this technology and bringing blockchain to financial services.
1: I like that the direction that this is heading and the potential that it has to really revolutionize uh, the way banking is working now. I'm curious how has the idea or the function of a bank changed. Maybe, from the past hundred years to how it is today,
2: great question. so um, banking used to be some place that you go, right, or something that you do. you have to you have to physically go somewhere. you have to physically sort of prove that you have a reputation. you have to actually put down something physical of value in order to be trusted and, and, and conduct financial services. First, everything went digital and that's great. But with the power of, of blockchain as well, combined with a sort of digitization of banking, it means that now banking is really not some place that you go or something that you do. It's something that ultimately is embedded and, and, and adapts to what you do and your lifestyle. You know, as a as a merchant, you know one one of the things that that Cred is now op, uh, offering up is is a, an operating system that leverages crypto rails that that instantly settles payment transactions for you as a business. Rather than let's say use Square and wait three days and get your money, you can now get your money in real time with each swipe. Taxes can be paid in real time with each um, with each swipe, but. The power to the merchant is that with all of the data that's that, that that is coming in with all of the real-time transactions that are coming in, you can also be offered working capital in, in real time based on what you're already doing. So you don't have to go to a bank and say, Well, look, I've done this many transactions. I've done, you know, I've got these audited financials. If you bake in, if you basically simply adopt An operating system that uh, facilitates what you already do in your day-to-day business you'll now have banking come to you you'll have banking lend to you without needing to do much more than press one button to accept it and you'll be able to have your 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 payments done and your uh and earn a substantial return without even needing to think about these things on a regular basis
1: and you've spoken a little bit about the future of what banking holds And I think my main question, really, uh, I want to dive a little bit deeper into what that vision looks like. But do you think that right now, the infrastructure that we're seeing built in the cryptocurrency space, such as what you're building with MyCred, what others are building, for example, with Celsius Network and other lending platforms, do you think this is where the future of banking is headed?
2: I think that the future of banking involves the best of certain aspects of mainstream finance and a lot of aspects of blockchain and crypto. So for example, everyone is worried about the throughput on certain blockchain operating systems. Is, is it scalable enough? Is it fast enough? What happens when the next 100 million people come in and start using it? Will it get clogged? How, how, do, you, how do you deal with that? And, and, and I would say that you know, those problems will get resolved over time, but it's really scalable from day one when you start thinking about how to leverage the best of mainstream finance with it. So if you swipe your credit card and it results, for example, uh, in the purchase of a crypto asset that is then being lent in real time to a merchant, that experience of of leveraging a, a licensed lender in a payment transaction, and the ability for, for that lender to advance a crypto asset that can, you know, basically travel with layer two technology. That's the best of both worlds. Advancing funds in a traditional risk management, you know, um, aspect. That's that's what lots of companies have learned how to do. That's what some of Cred's core competencies are: hedging um, the conversion, the exposure of one asset for another. That's something that is, you know, what traditional risk management, capital markets functions do that, that cred is, has a strong core competency in, and then letting these, these crypto assets travel through a network to their end destination, leveraging layer two technology. That is something that several companies, uh, notably companies like uh, Omise Go, have that make all of this possible to to settle transactions like ethereum transactions in real time. So, you know, the innovation, the power is is how you combine the best of crypto and the best of the competencies you need in mainstream finance like capital markets to scale something, make it successful. There are purists that believe that 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 you know, it has to be one or the other, but we all know that you know, today on the internet, you, you don't have to be technical to, to use a browser, right? To, to access a website. You don't have to know that something is, t- is you know, TCP IP is, is involved as a backbone, just like you don't have to, to know necessarily that an ERC-20 token was used, but you just know that the technology has sort of blended in a way together with the core business and, and compliance competencies that people have to, to make this all work.
0: This question, how do you use crypto in your daily life, is sponsored by BMAG, bmag BMAG.io. BMAG, they write stories that inform, influence, and inspire the global blockchain cryptocurrency community.
2: How do I use crypto in my daily life? Well, every single day I'm earning dollars on my crypto through cred, and I'm earning crypto on my unused dollars.
0: And now back to Michael and his guest. Enjoy the rest of the show.
1: So as you're talking about kind of blending the old system with this potential new technology that could revolutionize everything, are you kind of saying that the, the banks, the way that we see them now may not be completely extinct, but m- right, might rather just change form and evolve into something new that uh, adopts this kind of technology?
2: Yes. When you think of, of what banks really do today banks have, have shifted over time from owning all of the products and services that they offer to their customers to really owning only one thing and that is the relation the relationship with their customers at the end of the day most banks today are master jigsaw assemblers what they do is they find a best of breed core banking vendor, a best of breed online banking vendor, someone who's really good at providing applications like Mint that sort of allow you to, to view your money in, in, in nice charts. They partner with investing pro, uh, uh, investing companies, investment companies with various investment products. They don't really own much of anything with, that they sell you. They sell you other people's products. But you feel like it's all together in one place with their bank, and um, that that the the banks that will survive are the ones that are gonna that are that are recognizing that um, crypto is not something that is going to be an incremental move. You know, going from two hundred and fifty billion to three hundred billion to three hundred fifty billion in assets. What's actually happening is. It's changing even existing asset classes. So, you know, as we evolve, you're going to start to see Apple stock no longer in the form of a digital stock certificate, but in the form of a token. Right. You you know, people use invest in gold. Far more people invest in gold as an exchange traded fund than those people that are actually burrowing holes in their wall and in the floor to to, to, to you know, to keep their gold bars. They're already investing in gold in a digital form. Investing in gold in a token form is going to be safer, faster, easier to transfer. You'll get better rates with it if you wanna even lend it and borrow it. And um, uh, it's just a wholesale experience that's much better. So what's happening is you've got $300 trillion of assets out there that are in one digital form or another. And you'll start to see whole asset classes become tokenized, right? And as they do, you need financial services that can custody, lend, borrow, facilitate payments with tokens. The innovative banks, the ones that are sort of leaders will say, well, we don't have this core competency, but we know who does. Let's partner with them. Let's make them a part of our experience for our customers. And at some point, you'll have customers that will be with a bank and the bank will offer, hey, we partner with cred, for example, to custody your Bitcoin, to give you a rate of return on your Bitcoin, click here to get started all together at your bank. But as people gravitate to to wanting to hold, you know, crypto rather than other forms of assets, banks will have to take an increasingly larger position in, in, in partnering or, or learning this, you know, for themselves. And just give one other, you know, example here. I, I never actually would have thought that, that people would have adopted a crypto dollar so fast and that the government within a matter of just less than a decade would not be Going after companies that do this thing for fear of losing out to seniorage. You now have several several dozen stablecoins in the market in, in markets around the world, and people are starting to realize: well, it's just a better dollar. It's just a better euro. It's better. It's easier to save. It's be easier to transfer. It's uh, I earn a higher interest rate on it, etc. It's just better banking. Why don't I use this dollar rather than this? other dollar that just is kept at my bank that's a pain in the butt to transfer it's a i i only earn 1% on it i like the other dollar instead that i can just simply key in an address and it's it's moved in a minute it's 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 giving me a 10% interest rate rather than a 1% interest rate etc so that's sort of what i see happening and it's already happening and uh, we could talk a little we could talk more in, in this podcast about an alliance we've formed to actually produce the technology to mint, for example, uh, stable coins that are one-to-one substantiated with an underlying dollar that have on-chain minting and burning and fully transparent. I think that's where the world is headed to, just leveraging the technology to create a better form factor for existing asset classes and then some new asset classes as well.
1: I agree, man. I really think stablecoins are going to play a massive, massive role in the next uh, movement for the the banking sector. So I completely agree with you there. And I'm really interested in learning about your perspective of all of this as an emerging technology in comparison to other alternatives such as PayPal and things like that. Uh, I know you 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 mentioned earlier in, in the interview that you worked with PayPal um and i'm curious to get your opinion on how do you think bitcoin or these cryptocurrencies compare to paypal as paypal was pretty revolutionary at the time of of its release and really changed the game on finance
2: yeah well it's not a coincidence that you see lots and lots of paypal people involved in this next movement because these are people and we have a whole team of ex paypal folks as well on our on our team these are people that have spent their professional lives understanding the pain points of the legacy financial services system, the legacy payments infrastructure. How you can leverage crypto technology, rails, blockchain, etc., to to make a um, you know a massive, massive create a massive a stepfold increase in in, in the productivity and efficiency financial services world. So I, I would say this that that um, anyone who is is heavily connected today to legacy payment infrastructure and has um, a set of interconnected partnerships and relationships with those that are part of that ecosystem. It's no different than any supply chain that you've seen that can get radically disrupted. Look at the auto industry and all of the parts. You know, There's a thousand less pieces in a Tesla than there is in a, in a, in a combustible engine. Car that has a combustible engine, and and it's it's sort of the same with financial services. Um, you have these deep entrenched relationships, and it it causes you to look at the world differently. Like uh, there are military industrial complexes for payments, right? Um, it, you know, today the predominant way of of doing payments is a four party payment system where you have a you know a network, an issuer, an acquirer, right? Processors. You just almost have to start with a blank sheet of paper to really be able to architect something new and, and, and not be entrenched in, in sort of the old way of doing things. So in, in the case of PayPal, you know their competency came in the, in the form of taking risk by facilitating payments on the internet when you don't know the person on the other side and plugging into legacy financial infrastructure around the world so that an Australian seller and a US buyer can facilitate a payment um, where it, it, it the money moves from a, from the US banking system ultimately into the Australia banking system. If you're completely tied in with, with building out connections and rails and and all of these things to systems that will be hugely disrupted, you're at an immense disadvantage from those upstarts that can come in and build things that might enable you to do what PayPal has done, but in the course of a few months versus the, the, the 10 years plus that it took PayPal to build things out. And we're seeing it firsthand at CRED. Um, the fact that we can leverage crypto rails means that we jumped, you know, within the first two weeks of launch, we were in 30 countries. Within the first month, 60 countries. Now 179 countries. <laughs> Um, and that that that's only possible because we've connected to the new way of doing things, the the internet of money, the operating systems of blockchain, rather than the operating systems of legacy payment networks.:
1: I love that. And we only have a few more minutes left here, but I kind of want to get your opinion on big tech giants like Apple and PayPal and all of these guys. Um, you know they've got they've got the infrastructure set up. what What's holding them back? from creating solutions for uh, cross-border solutions and things like that uh, without blockchain? What's, what's holding them back from uh, solving these issues without the need for this technology?
2: Um, you need many, many intermediaries and you need uh, trust within all of those intermediaries. Get something to market, to facilitate financial services for all of these things. And that is enormously expensive and complex today. And you have governments with entrenched interests of controlling those payments and and really controlling money through all of the, the regulations that they put in this sort of regulatory moat that surrounds having banking licenses. The fact that you have to go through many people and many systems in order to get something done. Blockchain alleviates that with a transparent global ledger. You see every step of the transaction. It's trustless, right? And the cost to get information and value from one place to another is next to nothing. Thank you for listening to this episode of the What Is Crypto
0: podcast. You know, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I remember having really dove right into this question about the future of banking in the 2010 Shanghai Expo. I was working there and the biggest thing that I always thought about is look at all these people around the globe. Look at them all here. Look at how interconnected we are. Look at China becoming or became the manufacturing hub of the world. This is where all of our crap comes from is in China and how payments our pain point for all of these companies how how payments is people just I, I, in my MBA I learned all about how how you how you calculate how you have to have a whole structure and a plan about international business because of the, uh, because of forex, because of the 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 difference between currencies and the difference between values of currencies, and what if one goes up and one goes down, and 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 how you're gonna keep profitable? Like it's insane to think about if you're trying to do a global business, if you're trying to be a small company and you know go on Alibaba and just grab some goods to try to slang on eBay or Amazon. There's still this pain point, and not even the pain point of of payments. But just think about labor. Think about all the skilled labor that's sitting there in China that you cannot get to the United States or get to India or Indian and Chinese laborers that can't get to Africa to train them how to do some of the best manufacturing in the world. There are many pain points about the future of globalization, about the future of our global economy, about the migration of not only labor, but money. And we have it figured out, but we don't wanna make a change. And to be perfectly honest, that's what this episode all comes down to for me is how to get people, money, ideas, labor, skill, moving freely without friction around the globe. Your DYOR today is very simple. Just think, what would the world be like if we can freely transact and we can freely move not only of our ideas, ourselves our family around the world at will we'll see you in future episodes of the what is crypto podcast with your boy nye